Well, good morning, everyone. One, uh, my name's Josh, and lead pastor here. Just want to welcome anyone who's, who's new here. We've been going through a series on living in light of eternity, and we're kind of making a turning point because we're actually finishing up Colossians. And so if you have your Bibles, the passage that we're going to be looking at is Colossians 4, 7 through 18. But before we get into that, I actually bring you greetings from, from other people. So uh, just to kind of give you an idea of what happened this week, this week I, was, uh, I went down on Tuesday and met with our district. So Berean is as a group, if you're new to the Berean, we're, we're, we're part of a group of churches called a fellowship. And so we work together, we partner together to do things that we couldn't do on our own. So one of those projects was like India. So we were part of India, training pastors in India and planning more than 300 churches in India. So actually there's, there's more churches in India right now because a group of churches together in the United States decided to get together and go, let's train pastors who can go out and plant churches. And so we're part of this network of, of churches. And so what I did on Tuesday is I went down to meet with some of the pastors that are in our district. And we get together every so often just to encourage one another, pray for one another, pray for each other's churches, and just hear what God is doing in the churches. And so what I'm doing this morning is actually giving you a greeting, a greeting from Colorado Springs. It's a brand new church plant called Freedom Church. Uh, the leader of that, that church actually came up to my ordination, and I've mentioned him before. His name's Scott Maxson. And so every Sunday at 2 o'clock... They are now meeting and training up new leaders and starting to work on planning this new work in Colorado Springs. And what they wanted us to, to hear is at least to each and every one of you is that they're thinking of you all. And so I bring a greeting from Colorado Springs. The other thing that I wanted to pass along is there's another church plant and my ordination coach, uh, his name's John Schrag. And he was down there as well. He's kind of the, the, the leader of that district, that group of, of pastors. And he brought a greeting as well, just saying that he's thinking of you all, praying for you all, and, and thinking of you. So I bring that very intentionally because the passage that we're going to be looking at, and a lot of the New Testament, when they're writing, there were greetings that would happen at the beginning, and there are greetings at the end. And we're actually going to be looking at greetings that happen at the end of this book, and it's from various different people. And so it's very intentional that I bring these different people up. But what I wanted to do this morning to kind of kick off our service is they sent us a greeting. But what I'd like to do is actually go in the presence of the Lord and pray for these churches and think of them as they're going to be meeting. So I've actually asked uh, somebody to come up. John, go ahead and come on up. Forgive him. He's wearing shorts. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So John's just going to lead us in prayer. We're going to pray for the the church down in Colorado Springs, Freedom Church, and then also uh, in Sedalia. Sedalia. Yeah. Okay. God, what a what a absolutely beautiful day you've given us today. Um, it's just a blessing. It's a blessing to be alive today. Uh, we live in a hard world and a hard community, and. Uh, God, you are with us, and we can trust in your promises. I lift up Freedom Church right now to you, God, that they're pursuing you by pursuing others. I pray that you would protect them, Father, that you would give them wisdom, 
that you would give the ears that are are coming into that church, um, that you would open their ears, that you would open their eyes, and you would allow them to see what you're doing, and that would they would have a united mind, a united front, um, to go out into their community and to love on it. Lord, whenever we do what you ask us to do, the evil one is right there um, to attack us, to lie to us, to influence us, to, to not trust you. So God, I ask that your protection would come over their minds and their hearts at Freedom Church. I also lift up Sedalia. God, these are really close churches, and they're brand new. And uh, we ask that you would uh, give them the energy that they need and the motivation to, to keep on pressing forward when things get hard. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a part of their fellowship. Show us how we can support them and through our prayers. Um, physically, and uh, Lord, we lift them both up to you, and we lift up the, this community and the Berean Fellowship as well, um, God, that we would continue to have a united mind, um, a unity between all of us, that we can glorify you in all we do. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen. Amen, thank you. Well, thanks for praying. Uh, so any of you that are, are willing, man, I'd even ask, even challenge, uh, for those of you that are maybe even thinking of this, at two o'clock, if you even set a reminder on your phone, two o'clock, every week, this church is meeting down in, in, for, in, in uh, Colorado Springs. Maybe it's just something that one of you would be challenged to pray for this church on a regular basis, on every Sunday at two o'clock of just thinking of this church as they get together, they have a, a young pastor and his wife, they have kids, and, and they're starting a brand new work, which is extremely difficult. 22 people that are meeting right down there with them. So it's a small, small church at this point, and they're continuing to gather and grow together. Um, so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna bring over, and we're gonna kinda get ready to start getting into the passage. So I mentioned that we were praying for this church for a reason. And one of the reasons being, as we start this, this whole process of going through the final portions of Colossians. I'm gonna go ahead and read through this together and then gonna talk through this passage. This passage is uh, pretty straightforward and I'm gonna be honest with you before we even get into it. Uh, I don't know how many of you ever get to a passage like this and it's so easy to read through a passage like this and you kind of get through Colossians, you start reading through, you kind of get to the guts of things and maybe some of you are like, man, just get me to the center of that cinnamon roll and I'm gonna study this out. I really enjoy this part, this part, this part, this part. And then we get to the end here and we start hearing about names and other things and it's like, man, blah, 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 blah. Grace to you, done. All right, we're done with Colossians and let's move on. But there's something very important that God wants to teach us, I think, in this portion of scripture in Colossians, and we would do well to listen and pay attention to what God has to say to us. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna have uh, us read through Colossians 4. It's just a short portion of scripture, Colossians 4. And if I would actually ask you to stand, uh, go ahead and stand with me, and here's why we do this. 
This isn't just a ritual that, we, that, that I want us to get in the habit of, but here's a reason why we're doing this. When we open up the word of God, what we believe about scripture is that this is authoritative, this is God's word, he's speaking. And so when we are reading this, we're reading what God actually intended for this church. We wanna pay attention to it, we wanna listen to it. This is God's word, we're gonna pay attention, we're gonna honor it, and that's one way that we can do this, to stand together just in honor of God and what he's spoken through his word. So in Colossians 4, 7, and it's on the screen behind me so you can follow along if you don't have a Bible, says this, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, Write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Go ahead and be seated. So this morning we're looking at a passage, like I said, that is so easy, and I don't know how many of you have done this before, but you read through a passage like this and you're like, what on earth is Josh gonna say this morning? This is like a bunch of hellos. And what are we going to say with this? And what does God want to teach us from this portion of scripture? What, what could there be for us to pay attention to? Well, let me talk a little bit about the church today and where our church is, uh, where we've come from and where we are right now, and maybe some difficulties that we face as a church right now. See, the reality for us is we, many times people fall on two spectrums with the church. One spectrum, and, and we could, some theologians have talked about this as visible church, invisible church, and I'll kind of define what those mean. On more of like the visible church, well, what does that mean? There's, there's some people that, that as they start thinking about church as this organization, they're like, oh man, I love this thing, it's a great organization, and this, the church, is the way of salvation. Membership in the church is what is required for salvation. And so it's so important, the church is what's the first thing and that's what welcomes and ushers people into this relationship with Jesus. So there's some that take this idea of church and they, and they, they maximize it, they make the church the most important thing and that this is the way of salvation. 
So that would be more along the side of a visible church. Then there would be another side of, of people that would come along and say, you know what, uh, and it's more of an invisible church. They would go, you know what, what's really most important is my personal relationship with, with God. Organized religion and all that stuff, that may be great for some, but who needs that anyway? I have this personal relationship with God and that's what's most important and they completely cast aside church. Do you get what I'm getting at? That one group would see there's no real need for organization in this religion. There's, the other side would say, it is the way. And if you're not a part of this thing, then you have no part of Christ. So then there's people that fall in all different spectrums along the way and I'm not here to kind of dicker on all of those different things. But here's the reality for each and every one of you today. What's the importance of even talking about this? What's the question that people are, are struggling with when they're thinking through this? What is important about this? What we're doing right now, is it important? Some people would look and go, you know what? It's no different sitting in my home, listening to podcasts of John MacArthur or John Piper. I can get the same thing. I don't need the church. I just have my personal relationship with God. There would be some that would fall along that realm. And then there would be others that say, no, the church is everything. If you're not a part of the church, you're not here. You are not a part of the church. So there's confusion on what really is the significance of this thing? Is it important? How important is it? Where's truth in this matter? So there's confusion over this. Well, in coming into this passage, one of the things that is so interesting to me on this passage, like I mentioned, I read through this thing and I was like, man, so often I get to chapter four and, and we've been talking about different relationships. We've been talking about how having Christ first in your life, how that impacts marriages. Oh man, how many of you have just been challenged in your own marriage and how you treat one another as a spouse? Man, I, I want Christ first. I don't wanna be trying to wrestle for first place in my relationship with my, with my wife. I want Jesus to be preeminent in my marriage. And then you even look at parenting and you're going, man, I don't want my kids just, I don't wanna rule over them with an iron fist. I want Jesus to be the one that's preeminent in their life. I want him preeminent in my life. And, and I wanna be a parent that points them to that. And then we talked about work. Man, I don't just want to work for an employee. I, what I want to work for is I want to realize in everything that Jesus is preeminent. He is my master and I am going to serve like none other because I know he's the one who watches me. I'll never escape his vision. He'll always see what I do well. He'll see what I don't do well. And he's a rewarder of both good, and, and good behavior and he also notices when I'm not doing things right and he'll hold me accountable. And so we look at this reality of what Colossians is bringing forward and it's presenting Jesus as preeminent over everything and all oh, that he would be first in each and every one of our lives. And so we talked about those relationships and now Paul's really gonna get together and, and talk specifically about relationships among one another. So I, I read through this so many times, even when I was prepping before we were even starting into this and I read through this and I get through chapter four, I get to verse six and then I get to seven and I go, oh, hum, drum, oh my goodness, what? Get to the end on, on verse 18. What, I don't know what you even say about this. What's the importance? Well, let's make some observations in this. So looking in Colossians 4, seven, observe something with me because 
here's where I think we need to start paying attention. What's the emphasis that Paul's driving at? He emphasizes, he talks about different people, but, but notice how he specifically talks about them. Tychicus will tell you all about, our, about my activities. So he notices, notice this, he says he's emphasizing mindfulness of one another. And here's how he does it. Pay attention to what he says. Tell about my activities, verse seven. I want you to know how we are, verse eight. Some of you might be going, who cares? I was talking about churches right now. Churches that are gonna be meeting at two o'clock, church that's meeting in Sedalia, and some of you are going, who cares? But this was important to these group of believers. Did they actually wanna know what was going on with Paul? Did they actually wanna hear what was happening with this person that's in prison and these others that are saying these greetings? They don't know them firsthand. Tychicus has never been to Colossae, but it's important that he acts, well, I don't know, most likely he hasn't been there. So when we look at this, he says, tell him about the activities, know how we are. Well, what else does he wanna do? I, I want in verse eight to encourage their hearts. So Tychicus is gonna go and he's gonna be an encouragement to them. He's gonna tell them about what's happening with him, but he's also gonna bless them. Verse nine, I'm gonna tell everything that's taken place, being mindful of what's happening with Paul. And then we keep going on and we find in verse 10, we see that somebody else is gonna give a greeting to them. In verse 10 it says, the Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And then Mark, the cousin of Bar Barnabas, he also sends a greeting. And then Justice, who's also called Jesus, he sends a greeting to these people. And it's mentioned to them that if Mark comes to you, I want you to welcome him, be mindful of him. Does that make sense? Well, what else do we see about being mindful of one another? It says that these guys have been a comfort to Paul that are with him, they're Jews. And then we hear about Epaphras, and what does he do? Epaphras, in, 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 in verse 12, it says, he is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you. And listen to what it says about him. He's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. The idea of struggling, do you know what that word means? It's used of an athlete, someone who's striving and stretching to the finish line. That's the person that you see as they're running and they're agonizing and they're reaching forward with all their might, trying to get across the finish line. It's the athlete that drops down at the end of the race, exerting all their energy and all that they have to do is fall in a crump. That's that idea of agonizomai. That's the word, agonize. He's agonizing on your behalf. It's also used of a, of a person who's in battle. He's fighting for his life, swinging a sword, blocking with a shield, doing everything and anything that he can do to stay alive. And that's what's described of Epaphras who is thinking of this church who he's not in the presence of. And he's praying on their behalf and struggling for these people who he's not there in their presence. He's mindful of these people. And Paul points it out. Not only is he mindful here, but if you read in chapter one, it was Epaphras again who was mentioned that he's thinking of them. And he sent this message, he came back to Paul and made him aware of what was going on in Colossae. So he's mindful of this church and these people. He's from there. What else do we learn about him? Verse 13, it says he works hard on your behalf. 
not only works hard on their behalf, but also for Laodicea and Hierapolis. Well, what's the significance of those cities? They're, it's kind of a three-city area. So this is down in a little valley, Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis, they're all in this same little area. They're kind of neighboring sister cities of sorts, only a few miles away from one another. And he works hard for these people. He's mindful of them. Notice in 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea. He's, he's mindful of these people and to Nympha and the people in her house. In verse 16, what does he want to have done? He wants them to hear this message that he shared. Share it with the people of Laodicea. Help them to be mindful of what I have to say to them. So he's even encouraging them to spread this message to other people. And then there's a personal greeting that Paul gives and a final strange word that he gives right at the end. Remember my chains, a command. Why on earth would he say remember my chains? I'll talk about that a little bit later. Well, for some of you, uh, how many of you like looking on Facebook? I'm gonna try to relate this to Facebook. Yeah, every so often. And those of you that didn't raise your hand, thank you for lying this morning. You're in church. So, I don't judge. But here's the reality for each and every one of us. How How does this even relate to us? Is this even relevant? Think of Facebook, right? So how many of you, you go out on Facebook and you look at a post that somebody makes and you're like, oh, I don't even, didn't even realize that they were part of my, my friends. And so what do you do with that person? You click on their profile, right? Well, I wonder who this person is. Where are they from? What, what can I learn about them? Well, here's kind of what we're gonna do this morning. We're actually gonna look at these different characters. There were a bunch of different people that Paul goes, hey, Tychicus, here's a great name. It's spelled funny, sounds funny, looks funny too. And, and so he mentions these different people. Who were they? And, and we're gonna kind of click on Facebook and go, okay, who are these guys? What's significant? What can we learn about these different people? Because this will actually shed some light on some important truths that we need to learn from here. All right, so first, let's take a look at Tychicus, all right? So not only does he have a cool name, but Tychicus, what we know from Acts, if you've read through Acts, Tychicus is this guy who's from Asia. So most likely, he's from Ephesus. So he's familiar with this area. Ephesus is not that far from Colossae. When he was sent, he was probably actually carrying three different letters. One letter was Ephesians, and he dropped that off in Ephesus when he first goes, after talking with Paul, he goes and takes the letter to Ephesus. And then the next letter that he would take is he's gonna take two letters and a prisoner of sorts um, with him over to Colossae, Colossae or Colossians, and then Philemon. Now, this guy, he's not only taken a letter to to Ephesians, but he's also kind of this go-to guy for Paul. He's just this faithful guy. Think, you know, the kind of, that kind of person that's just faithful. You can trust them with whatever. Hey, I just need groceries. And that person will jump up, drop whatever they're doing, and they will go do it. This is a faithful guy. He's from this area. He's going to go take this message to this group of people. And what else do we know about him? He's supposed to go encourage these churches. He was an encourager. Do you know somebody like that? Somebody that you can just call and you just know whatever. They're going to listen. They're going to encourage you and, 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 and encourage you in what you're doing and help you to be uh, heart-filled and do something with more courage, with more valiant and gallantry. So do you know a person like that? Think of that person. That was Tychicus. 
So he's a guy that's found all throughout, all throughout Paul's history. He's even mentioned in the end in 2 Timothy. This is just a guy that is a faithful guy. Now, who's the next one? We have Onesimus. It's mentioned here, this guy Onesimus. Last week, we talked a little bit about Onesimus. We know he's from Colossae, but what else do we know about him? What's significant about him? Anybody tell me. What's that? He's a slave, but not just any slave. What has he done? He's run away. He's committed probably one of the most worst things that you can do as a slave. It's horrible that he would even do this. Now, because of that, Philemon has a right to potentially take his life or punish him severely. So who do we have? Onesimus. He's this guy who used to be called useless, but Onesimus is his name, useful. He's now useful to Paul, and he's coming back. Now, most likely belongs to, to Philemon. He worked closely with Paul. He probably met Paul when he was in Rome. He's this runaway slave, meets up with Paul at some point, and he becomes a Christian. And Paul looks at this guy, and he sees that he is a defector from his master. And instead of providing shelter for this person, he helps him understand what it truly means to be Christian. He says, that is not right of a Christian brother to do to another brother. You're going to go back to your master. I'm going to take you back to your master, and you're going to repent of what you've done. Go back to the yoke. And he sends him back. So we have a faithful guy. We have a defector who comes to know Christ, a runaway slave. And then we have Aristarchus. Well, where's he from? In Acts, we also find out about Aristarchus. He's from Thessalonica. Imagine kind of clicking on the profile page. From Thessalonica, like long walks on the beach, all those fun things. That it, um, I don't know that about Aristarchus. What I can tell you about him, though, is that this guy is the guy that will rush out headlong. He's willing to do anything and everything for Jesus. If you remember later on in, in Acts, what happens with him is there's this riot that breaks out in Ephesus. Paul is there, and all of a sudden, the people are ready to call for blood. They're going to kill somebody. And who do they grab? Aristarchus and one of the other guys. They drag him out into the arena. Paul, if you can remember, Paul is wanting to get out into the arena to help be a part of these two guys. This is a guy who is willing to go all out for Jesus. He's willing to give his life. He's a faithful person who remains by Paul all throughout. So Aristarchus, this guy from Thessalonica, who knows, he might have been even, even a person that, um, well, well, sorry, one of the things that we do know is that he's Jewish. He's a comfort, he's a help to Paul. He mentions that specifically. There's three Jewish people that are mentioned here, Aristarchus, Mark, Mark, and then also Justice. So let's get on to Mark. Who is Mark? His name was also John Mark. Have you read through the Gospel of Mark? Same Mark. What do we know about Mark from Acts? What's his story? What's his relationship with Paul? Anybody remember? There's something happened in his first missionary journey that was very significant. What did he do? Anybody remember? He bailed. He abandoned Paul when things started to get tough. Here you have Mark who abandons Paul and later on on the second missionary journey he comes back and there's a huge argument that arises between Paul and Barnabas. Well, what happened? What was the argument about? Paul doesn't want to take this guy with him on a missionary journey. 
Well, why? Because when things get tough, he bails. That could have been a part of the conversation. I don't want to take that guy. And Barnabas decides to take him. They go to Cyprus, and Paul goes another way. So we have a faithful guy, an encourager. We have a runaway slave. We have a person who's willing to go headlong into the battle for Christ. And we have a person who abandoned Paul. And what's mentioned of him? Welcome him when he comes. Why would that be so important to tell these churches? What would they probably know about this guy? He's the guy that abandoned Paul. That's this guy. How, how would you feel going into this church knowing that you're that guy? And so what does Paul do? He graces him and goes, listen, here's this endorsement. Welcome him. He's a faithful brother. He's helpful to me. Welcome him into the church if he comes. Well, who else do we know here? Ah, other things about Mark. He's from Jerusalem. Other significant thing about him is he's probably from a wealthy family. Well, how do we know that? So if you remember back in Acts, Peter is held in prison uh, for sharing the faith early on in the ministry, and then he's, he's captured, put in prison, and then he has this, it, it feels like a dream to him that the, the, the door of the, the jail cell all of a sudden opens, he walks out, and all of a sudden he kind of comes to his senses, and he's outside the jail. And then he goes to a house, and he's met by a person named Dorcas, thinks he's a ghost. And whose house is this? It's John Mark. It's in a wealthy part of, of, of Jerusalem. So this guy's probably pretty well off. So keeping on going here, because I don't want to bore you with, sometimes when you stay too long on a, on a profile on Facebook, you know, you run down a rabbit hole. Okay, next one. Justice. What do we know about justice? He's Jewish. And a comfort to Paul. That's it. We don't know much about justice. So... Um, he's kind of got his profile on secure. We, we can't really look too much about, about his profiles. Not even any pictures. Sorry, folks. Um, <clears throat> that's just what happens sometimes in scripture. Um, so Epaphras, well, what do we learn about him? Oh, man, it has been so fun to learn about Epaphras. If you've been reading through Colossians, he is the guy that brought the gospel to Colossae. So he hears about this gospel probably in, 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 a, in Ephesus. He brings it back to this whole area. And oh man, what a neat guy. So he's from Colossae. He brought the gospel to this region. What else do we know about him? Man, we know that this guy is a prayer warrior. Do you know anybody like that? Know anybody that's just a prayer warrior that you can depend? If you say, hey, listen, something's going on in my life, you don't even have to ask them to pray. You know that that is going to be the person who is on their knees, they're begging God for you, and they're doing it faithfully. And they're the person that comes up to you possibly weeks, months later and goes, hey, I've been praying for you. How is this going in your life? And you're like, man, I even forgot about that happening in my life. I, I don't even know how you remember this in my life. That was Epaphras. He was this person that just had this passion for these people in this valley, a deep concern for them, deep concern, not only that, that, they would con that they, one, came to know Christ, but that they would continue to grow up in their faith. Well, what did he want for them? It, it says that, that Epaphras, what did he want? He wanted them to know the will of God fully and walk in it. So he's praying relentlessly for these people. Man, what a prayer warrior, somebody that you, you would just love to have on your team. What about Luke? I love his name. The beloved doctor. The beloved physician, right? Man, what a great name. This is a guy 
who once he got around Paul, it seems like he probably never left his side. He's just a faithful guy. Doctor, so he's useful in, 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 in things that would come up possibly with health. And what we know from 2 Timothy 4.11 is that he's there with Paul even in the end. Even when many others had abandoned him. Do you know somebody like that? Somebody who's just there with you even to the end? They won't leave your side. They're just a faithful guy or girl. The next one's troubling to me. Um, Demas. What do we know about Demas? He's there with Paul now. We don't know how long he stays with Paul, but what we do know in 2 Timothy is that he eventually, what's written of him is Paul says that even Demas has abandoned me because he loves this world. He walks away, possibly never to come back. There's even others that, that write that are uh, outside of the scriptures that speak uh, ill of, of Demas, that things didn't go well for him. Do you know anybody like that? Somebody that started so well, but then eventually they just walk away for whatever reason. They love this world. They love the attention. They love, they love whatever, but I don't want to have any more Jesus. I just, I just want to live my life. Just let me be. And they walk away. They walk away from you. They walk away from their faith. They're done. Know anybody like that? Well, then there's Nympha. Uh, confusion on her or him. Is it Nympha, Nymphus? Uh, at least in most texts, it's Nympha. It's a woman. And there's a church that meets in her home. We really don't know a whole lot about this person. They're, she's from Colossae, or from, this, or from uh, Laodicea, sorry, from this area. And there's people that meet in her home. She's just willing to be hospitable. Pretty sure it's, it's, it's a woman. Kind of interesting to think that Lydia is another person who opened up for people to come in their home and meet. You know a person that's just hospitable? They like opening up their home. We don't know a whole lot about, else about them from their Facebook profile. But they're just a person that's willing to have you into their home. That's Nympha. Then we have Archippus. He's from Colossae. Said to him that he's supposed to fulfill this assignment. It said, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Does this mean that he was doing something wrong? I don't know, I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily a negative thing. I think it's just saying to this person, make sure you do what you're supposed to do. He had an assignment and he's supposed to fulfill it. It looks like from Philemon that, that, that they met in his home and so this is possibly a church leader. Maybe he was the one that was charged or entrusted with the leadership of these people in Colossae. And Paul gives a specific word to this guy to keep going, keep doing what you're supposed to do. Do you know anybody that ever needs encouragement in fulfilling their assignment? That sometimes just a word of encouragement would mean so much to them to help them keep going in the assignment that they have? Maybe that's you today. Someone that just needs to hear a brief word of, hey, you have this assignment, keep going. I'm thinking of you. 
The last person that I would mention is Paul and this strange phrase that he has. Well, Paul says specifically, it says Paul writes this greeting with his own hand. This seems to be his specific signature. Now, he didn't write most of his letters. Well, why was that? Some of them speculate. Was it bad eyesight? Was it a hand problem that he couldn't hold, hold a pen? Who knows what was going on with this guy, but it's very specific that he likes to say, this is his stamp to say, this is me. It's even mentioned that he writes with large letters. That's why some of them think, well, maybe his eyesight was a little bit poor. Paul chooses to say, I write this with my own hand, and he makes a really interesting statement at the end of it. Remember my chains. Why does he say that? Is what Paul's trying to say with this, remember my chains, when we kind of look into his Facebook post, is this the guy, when you look at the Facebook post, that all attention is just on him? (laughs) Remember my chains, folks. I'm hurting here. I'm hurting. Remember my chains. Is that what Paul's doing? Is that Paul? Is that his character? I don't think so. Well, what's Paul doing? Why is he saying, remember my chains? Is this a specific, is this something important that we need to learn from? Here's a church, and I'd argue yes. If you have your Bibles, open, turn over to Hebrews 13, verse three. And I think this is what Paul's getting at, and this is really where I wanna camp this morning and spend the rest of our time the little time we have left. Hebrews 13, verse three says this. Actually, listen to the context a little bit. This is kind of interesting. Hebrews 13, verse one says this. Let brotherly love continue. So that's the big idea of what he's talking about. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So, I'm to let love continue, brotherly love. I'm I'm to be hospitable. And then listen to what he says. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated. Why? And he answers, since you are in the body, See, there's something that's really important to think through with this. And I think where I'd like to kind of finish up with us as a church, as we think through Colossae and the Colossian letter, it's this. We talked about all these different people that were in Paul's triad. What a, what a group of misfits, right? People from different places in the world, Thessalonica, Colossae, people from Jerusalem, people from Welloff, a doctor. You have people from all different walks of life. You have defectors, you have runaway slaves, you have people who have done well, you have, you have all different walks of life, every different type of person, and what does that make you start thinking of? Isn't that a lot like what this is, the church? people that come from every different walk of life. There are people that do well. There are some people that are gonna stay here and there are some people that the reality that I know about this in this room, there are gonna be some of you that potentially will walk away from your faith. And it grieves my heart. There's some of you that are faithful, that you're ready to, you're ready to go, go to the gallows for Christ. Demas was a person that uh, 
I don't know what happened later on, but my guess is even here in this letter, Demas was still struggling with what he really believed about Jesus. Was he sufficient? Was he enough? The reality that I think through, when I think through the end of this passage and and I think through what Paul wrote, man, remember my chains. Remember the fact that you are part of this one body. See, here's the thing that is so crazy about this. I read through this, and I, like I mentioned, in Colossians 7 through the rest of this chapter, I go, man, I read through this, and I go, words, 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 people, people, done. Good, I'm, I'm done with the chapter. Oh, man, but these are people. And that's what mattered to Paul. He realized that we are members of one another. And so when he was writing this and saying, listen, I want to bring word to you of what's happening with us, he was writing to a group of people that, 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 that actually would want to know what's happening in his life. And he wanted to know what was going on in their life. And he wanted to pray for them. And there was this guy named Epaphras who was on his knees and he was fighting and slaving it out for these people even though he wasn't present with them. One of the things that I realized about my life as we were going through this whole series in Colossians is this. And I wonder how many of you are the same. It's so easy to be about one another this morning, right? We have greeting time, we walk up, and I, I go up, and Brian, it's good to see you. He shakes his head too, must be good to see me as well. And, and, and I shake hands with each and every one of you, and I can be so present, I can be so here. I don't need to grab my phone, and, 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 and I'm not distracted. I can be in your presence when you're right there with me. But the thing that is so hard for me to do that for us to grow in maturity, for us to mature as a church, is for us to love in a different way and that's what Paul is challenging this church to do. And he's doing it by modeling it for them. What does Christian love look like? It's not love that is just love when it's present. It's a love that thinks of you even when you're not there. It's a love that thinks of what's going on with this church. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be begging, I'm gonna be on my knees for these people because I know that there's hardships that they're gonna face and I know each and every one of you are facing hardships and I'm thinking about you and I'm gonna be praying about you all throughout this week. That is the kind of love that Paul is encouraging in here and he's saying, guess what? Church, young, fledgling church in Colossae, you are part of something bigger than yourselves. You are part of this thing called the church. Oh, and it's a wonderful thing. There are people that actually care about you and your health and want to encourage you toward growing. How important is this and what we are doing? You cannot do this at home on an iPod. You can't do this on your computer by listening to podcasts. You can't. You can't do what scripture has called you to do on your own by just being an individual Christian. As great as that is, so what do I need to tell you from this this morning? I, I challenge you with two things. There's, there's different spectrums that people fall on. One spectrum we fall and we go, listen, the church is the most important thing and, and that's the one sole way. And then there's this other side that goes, wow, oh, who really needs church? I have this personal relationship with Jesus. I'd say both are skewed, but we need to embrace both with clarification. What is the clarification that we need to embrace here as a church today? What Paul talked about in Colossae is this, this young group of people, how did they come to, 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 to be a part of this thing called the body? It wasn't by signing up and becoming a member of an organization. It wasn't by joining a group. First and foremost, what we know from scripture is how do I get to have this, a relationship with Jesus Christ is by faith in what he's done. 
dying on the cross for each and every one of our sins. Each and every one of us are sinful and in absolute desperate need of saving. So first and foremost, we do uphold that yes, faith should be first as far as being a part of this body. That should be emphasized here as a church. But here's the other equally important part that so often becomes lost here in our culture. We live in a culture that is individualistic, consumeristic. We want to just have church be about me. We want it to just be about me and my relationship with God. But guess what? There are other people around you. And what Paul is talking about is there are a group of people who are thinking of you, Colossae. And you're thinking of us. And I want to let you know what's happening. That's what maturity looks like. For you to be a growing, healthy Christian, wherever you go, commit yourself to a local expression of a church. That's not for your salvation. Not at all. Why do I commit myself to a local church? It's not to be saved. It's so that I can actually start putting into practice the church is here and it's meant to help us grow. Do you realize what Paul says at the end? He says, remember my chains. And then what's the next word that he says? Grace be to you. Do you realize what people here in the church are to each and every one of you? It's a grace. Brian is a grace to me. Kai is a grace to me. John is a grace to me. And some of you that maybe don't get along with with me or maybe I don't get along with you, guess what? You are a grace to me. You are a part of this process of making me the person that God desires for me to be. And I can't do it on my own. I need you. We need one another. That's what I love about Epaphras. A guy that comes in and he's willing to just go to battle and pray and be on his knees for one another. For us to grow as a church, and I'm not talking just numerically, for us to grow into the people that God desires for us to be. One of the things that Paul is encouraging this young fledgling church is this. You want Christ to be preeminent in your life? It means that he's preeminent in how we treat one another. Do we think of one another? Do we support one another? Do we pray for one another? Do we encourage one another? Do we think of one another when we're not there? Here at Berean, we want to be that type of church. We want to be the type of church that when we hear about a church from the front range down in Colorado Springs, that there are actually people going, I could take at two o'clock and I could be about praying for that church. I don't know them. I have no clue who they are. But I would pray for those people because they're part of something bigger than myself. They're encouraging people to Jesus. Would we be the church that puts Christ on the throne of our life and it's seen in how we treat one another? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the time that we've spent in in Colossians. A lot of our thoughts have been in thinking through Colossians together. 
God, we're encouraged at the, the end of this that, man, there were so many different people that were around Paul. There were Tychicus, there were people like Epaphras, and there were even people like Demas. God, the reality is, as I look out into this congregation, the thing that I know, oh God, that there are people in here that may be a Demas. God, would we be a church that we pray, we, we look to support that person, we do what we can to, to support them in their walk, God, and encourage them toward you. Now, there may be people in here that are a mark who abandoned at one point in time and we learn to, to walk in grace toward one another and how to mend relationships. And we can do that by you being first in our life. God, there are people that are in here that are Tychicus. Man, they're just willing to do whatever. They're an encourager. Oh, and there are Aristarchuses that are in here. God, thank you for them. They're people that are willing to go to the ropes in support of you and in love of you. God, would you help make us mindful of one another? I look out into the congregation, God, and I know that there are difficulties going on in people's lives. That even just by sharing with another person, that that could mean the difference of, man, I'm struggling here. And somebody that would be willing to pray for them and pray with them. Oh God, make us that church. God, we can't do this on our own. We need your son to change our lives because the reality is, is I don't always think of people when they're not in front of me. God, I thank you for Berean. Make us into the church you want us to be in your name. Amen.